Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we look at some of the topics as suggested by our listeners, including whether severe economic downturns can affect future generations of investors and to what extent we can insulate ourselves against future turbulence. With Nikki Eggers, Head of Investments, Rob Smith, Head of Behavioural Finance, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. To find out about starting your investing journey with Barclays, visit barclays.co.uk forward slash investments. Hello, welcome to another edition of Word on the Street. So this week, uh, we have Will Hobbs, our Chief Investment Officer, and Rob, our behavioural guru. Guys, hi, how are you doing? Hello, Nikki. Hi, Nikki. Good, thanks. Good, good, good. So you've been drafted to deal with some of the topics that that our listeners have suggested, which is great because we we often put out an APB saying, please let us know on LinkedIn if there's anything you'd like us to discuss. So that's what we're going to deal with this week. But of course, as usual, we'll start off with what's been going on in, in markets over the last week. And I guess it would be remiss of me not to mention our, our football glory. I'm not sure. Is it glory when it's at this stage? It's glory. It's glory. Yeah, we'll take it as glory. It's glory, yeah. it's glory. <laughs> it's glory in this country. In well, it's def- definitely, yeah. definitely good news and a, and a boost, boost to the morale, isn't it? But just apropos that, I, I, I know that there's quite a bit of commentary I saw suggesting that we'd see some kind of bounce in markets on on the basis of, of England moving forward in in the tournament and and in ITV in particular, given advertising etc. So, you know, we obviously have seen quite a market reaction. Will is this coincidence or is it causal? What what would you say about what we've seen? <laughs> sadly, 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 given the role of the UK economy in the world, even the UK's capital markets, I'd say probably coincidence rather than causal. But uh, do you know what? Like in terms of news this week, it's hard to look beyond, you know, that amazing game. Uh, there are a few things going on at the moment, but I think, you know, one of the things you'll see, you'll be seeing in the news a lot um, and will be sort of, you know, affecting many people again. And there are concerns about the spread of the Delta variant. But in the UK, uh, you know, the spread of this now kind of, you know, dominant strain now has still to be followed by, by a, you know, a sharp rise in hospitalizations and deaths, which some are suggesting is consistent with, you know, that rapidly expanding, expanded wall of immun- immunity holding firm. And actually that, 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 that is consistent with evidence from the rest of the world with regards to, you know, what you're seeing in terms of this Delta strain. Um, it does look like the vaccines are, you know, vaccines are working so far. One other piece out there is this kind of, you know, is the sort of solidifying details of the Biden infrastructure plan, or at least the pieces of it, which, you know, we may see some bits make it through the lawmakers in the, in the second half. But I mean, remember here, we're still really only being for, afforded uh, a glimpse of what might eventually land, you know, like I say, in the second half, once it's been through, once the various pieces have been through Congress. Okay, thanks, Will. And so, one of the themes that that's come out from comments and questions from from our listeners is market crashes it's the worry bead right so in the past when we've seen significant losses market drops the effect that that can have on investors but also you know people that perhaps weren't invested but witnessed the aftermath the impact that 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 can have on their on their future willingness or or keenness to to get involved in in markets so 
I know, Will, you love an invitation to go down, um, <laughs> down, down the lane, memory lane of economic history. But I guess for most of us, that market crash that really we're sort of aware of in most of our living memory is, of course, Black Monday. So just can you give us a bit of a history lesson on that? What went on there? Yeah, it was a, yeah, one of obviously many bad Mondays globally uh, in the course of history. But this, I think, still stands out as the worst one-day crash in the history of the Dow Jones uh, Industrial Average. So I think it was October the 19th, 1987, unless someone else is able to correct me. Dow Jones was down over 20% in the day. The causes are still being disputed, still being debated. And in fact, this is one of the sort of key battlegrounds of that market efficiency debate. So what, you know, what changed about the future prospects for discounted corporate cash flows that Monday to force such a sharp revaluation, a move that, you know, was actually eradicated and walked back in the following year. So you can argue, or some do, that this is, this is an example of the market's ability to occasionally start a fight in an empty room. And the wider real economy treated it as such, essentially shrugging and moving on with the ongoing economic cycle for another couple of years. Now, central bankers were, uh, you know, influential in that indifference. But still, this is this is one of those, you know, still quite hotly disputed moments in economic and markets history. And it was such a shock, right, at, mm. at the time. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously, that that isn't the only significant fall we've seen in markets. We you know, obviously, in very recent memory, February and March last year were a bit of a roller coaster, and we obviously saw the great financial crisis as well. So, just thinking about these kinds of significant events in financial markets, I mean, to what degree should we expect them to occur from time to time, and and what impact can they have when they do occur? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think. That is correct. They are a feature of investing in stocks and risky assets in particular. You might see them as, you know, part of the toll for accessing ownership of the world's companies. Or in fact, you can sort of reverse that argument and say that there exists uh, an incentive to uh, own companies in order to compensate investors for exactly this kind of risk. They are mostly unexpected, therefore probably unavoidable. There will always be a few stop clocks out there who claim otherwise. Uh, however, I'm afraid that, that just can't logically be true if you think about it. You know, if they were easily predictable, then they'd be avoidable because we would take action so they wouldn't exist. So the other point to bear in mind, I think, is that if, as we tend to think, markets are, you know, relatively efficient at A, pricing the weighted probable range of, you know, future outcomes for the world and B, rapidly incorporating new information into that range, then that should inform how we think about behaving during these episodes. That's why buy on dip strategies when you know, playing with all of your savings at once, do not really make sense from a risk-adjusted returns perspective, even if they do make more sense from the behavioural side. The point is that for the most part, if the market falls by 20%, you're not buying the same good at a discounted price. You're buying a different good, perhaps subtly, but most of the time the price action is telling you that somehow uh, the package of discounted cash flows you're accessing is less juicy somehow than it was before, and therefore you need to be incentivized to still provide your precious savings uh, with a price which is commensurate to that new batch of risk and return profile. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a recession, as Black Monday pays testament to. It can simply be, you know, a change in the risks, new information as new information and, uh, uh, you know, events uh, are incorporated. But, uh, you know, and you could go back, you mentioned last year, and remember that a large part of the fall in markets last year, that immediate, very sharp kind of gut churning fall in, in market prices can be linked to the understandable instinct to 
expand assigned probabilities for the darker potential outcomes back in March. There was as yet little sign of the scale of policymaker response that we saw. You know, vaccines, treatments was seen plausibly as years off, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the future at that point did look very different to how it looked a couple of months later when all sorts of things came in, which changed our assessment of the risk and returns ahead. If that's not too waffly and long, I know I'm boring about this stuff, but it is, I, I find it interesting, but yeah. No, 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 I found it interesting too. And I guess, I guess the way I feel about what you said is that it's very much the head talking. And so I'm going to turn to Rob for, for a bit of heart. Um, <laughs> that's cruel. <laughs> because that, that is, Rob is completely attuned to the reality of us as humans and the fact that we will, we will react to our environment. And so, Rob, perhaps can you just share a little bit about how you see the effect of, for investors or for those watching from the sidelines and, and experiencing, even if it's not directly themselves, perhaps it's their parent that they've seen impacted by this or, or their employer, for example. What do you see as the impact of when people observe those significant losses? Yeah, I'll try, I'll try and use my head to give a, a, a good response. But yeah, I mean, the, the emotional and physical effects of, of a major financial loss like shouldn't be underestimated. And they've actually been shown to be similar to those of grief over the loss of a loved one, which shows you that significant financial losses hurt. And I guess that's not surprising, but to the extent to which the emotions to which they can trigger being similar to grief is perhaps a little bit surprising. Like, interestingly, it's, it's something that is studied and, and looked at by people in the sort of behavioral finance and, and, and psychology community. And there's something called the depression baby hypothesis, which is you know, this hypothesis that those who grew up in the depression era are, are less willing to take on financial risk than, than their predecessors and, and those who came after them because of the economic environment that they experience. Now, like more recent studies have shown that risk taking is strongly related to experienced returns. So the sorts of returns that you receive when you are invested tend to dictate the sort of risk you're happy to take in the future. Now, again, that's not that surprising. What's interesting is more, more recent experiences have a, have a much stronger influence on, on the risk taking than those in earlier life. So, you know, we think about something like Black Monday tended to be for those people who are now maybe in their 40s, 50s, think about investing potentially when, when they're younger, kind of more informative years. Maybe those sorts of events don't quite have such a strong influence than the more recent events. And that kind of ties in with this idea of the recency effect, which really provides the psychological basis for the fact that more recent history tends to influence our judgment and our decision making as, as we overweight those sorts of things we can recall much more easily than those things we, we can't recall quite as easily. That makes a lot of sense. So I think what I'm hearing there is those recent experiences are likely to impact our behaviour more than perhaps things that happened when when we were children, for example. Yes, yes. I mean, interesting is it, you know, we, we can see that decades old returns can still have some impact on observed risk taking on the actual you know actions people have when they get invested, but it tends to be a lot smaller. Now, I think the really important thing to, to think about here is sort of disaggregating two slightly separate things which one is risk tolerance which is how we think of as what we think of as a much more stable sort of personality trait in terms of how happy are we to trade off risk and return over a longer period of time versus risk perception which tends to be a much more dynamic attitude if you like now risk tolerance as i said 
tends to be more more stable. It it, it can move around uh, in adult life, but when we developed, you know, we did a lot of work and, and a lot of research to develop our our assessment of risk tolerance. And actually, we were doing that during the 2008 financial crisis, which gave us a really interesting time to look at how people's risk tolerance is, is, is changing over that period. And, and we did see some, some changes, but they were, they were small. You know, we didn't see people going from happy to take you know, vast amounts of risk to suddenly taking no risk, having kind of been through this, this you know, financial crisis. And it's, I guess with, with that risk tolerance, it's been sort of suggested, and, and there's some evidence, it's, it's, it's quite hard to prove some of these things, but there's some evidence that suggests that the experience during our informative years so something like you know a big loss from a from a from an investment crash uh, can have an effect on the more long run risk tolerance that, that we have and that we carry on into into adult life. But when it comes to sort of risk perception, which is you know how we feel about how risky the act, act of investing might be to us now, that's very much more influenced by the the here and now. You know, so if if we're if we're going through a, we've just seen a period of market turmoil, then obviously you're more, much more likely to think that investing in 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 stocks and shares is more risky, even if your holding period is still longer, uh, a long term holding period. And therefore, as Will was saying, you know, these crashes come and go, and the reality is that 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 probably that risk, that long term risk, might not change significantly, but those that those short term recent events, you know, can can lead you to, to perceive that, that increased risk. And of course, there's so many articles, there's there's so much reference back to historic events, especially from Will on this podcast. But um, is, it, is it the same, the impact of reading about these past events? Is that similar to actually having experienced them yourself? I think what we what I can say is it, it still has an effect, as, as I guess you would probably reason it doesn't have quite the same effect that if you experience that so more broadly than just financial markets you know personally experiencing an outcome has a much bigger impact on your subsequent decisions than than just witnessing that firsthand and that's been I guess shown across um, different contexts uh, outside of finance but specifically there is there was one study I was reading that, that did look at market crashes and, and and how that affected those who experienced versus witnessed those events and it t- they suggest that you know really it's the experience that that drives any later decision making changes in individuals and and having said that you know obviously it depends on your proximity if you're a child of someone who experienced a sort of huge financial loss because of you know their investments uh, at a young age and that was devastating in its impact, and you were very close to that and had effects on you. That's obviously going to have a much larger impact than than someone who's just read about these, you know, stories in the in in the, in the press. Okay, and, and Will, I mean, we're we're talking here about big drawdowns, crashes. It makes it sound very inevitable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're sort of normalising it to a certain degree. Is that right? And is there any action that investors should be taking to? protect themselves against uh, against the potential of of these recurring or, or coming down the road in the foreseeable future 
Yeah, I mean, I think, Nikki, to your first point, uh, I mean, I think it's wise to assume of the future, you know, just to take a slightly conservative slant. You can, you know, there is some evidence to show that in the last, you know, 150 years that, you know, global recessions, US recessions have been becoming a bit less frequent as we've been getting better at managing the economy. The types of sectors that dominate the economy are a little bit less, you know, economically volatile often. And so you can sort of make the case that they may be getting less frequent as that. But I think that's probably an unwise assumption. And in terms to how you think about trying to avoid them, I think overall you can take less investment risk. Uh, you know, when all of your investments are pieced up together, you can make sure that there's less overall exposure to these kind of downside things. Things, but that should come with lower upside, lower returns. There are simply, you know, my opinion, no durable somethings for nothings uh, in the world of investments. How how could there be? You know, popularity pushes prices higher as prices go higher. Uh, you know, expected returns should go in the opposite direction, more or less. You know, you know, so all is trying you know, in the context of that efficient market idea which remember is it's not debated whether markets are efficient or not anymore it's the degree of efficiency which is really the resilient you know remaining debate there and always try and challenge yourself as an investor you know if it's such a good idea why hasn't everyone else thought of it the more obvious the charms the more that question the more urgently that question needs to be asked and you could argue for the, the long-term investor these are mere blips you know, so far always retraced in most uh, most cases. I mean, I think some people often cite the St. Petersburg Stock Exchange went to zero uh, at one date in history and never recovered. But, you know, if you're diversifying across the world, that is, uh, you know, that is different. And what such investors, you know, who are focused on the long term really need to be focused on is not avoiding these inevitable stumbles, but being sure that their investment net is sufficiently well designed to capture uh, what happens in between, um, which is really the overwhelming majority of the time and that is you know productive growth and the dividends coupons and cash flows that are that that tend to be the rewards to diversified investment yeah and rob just just finally to send us on our way any small little hacks or top tips around how to potentially manage ourselves in a way that you'd approve of yeah yeah so i think like you say now now we all have that access to, to investments and, and what our accounts are doing 24-7. I think the first thing I'd say is it's simple things like turn off notifications in your apps if, if you have them on your phone or, and remove them from your home screen, you know, just so they're not there all the time in front of you, tempting you to, 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 take, to take that sort of thing. If, if, you're, if you're still finding yourself checking every day and you know that you don't really want to be, you know, uninstall these things. You know, we can still access your accounts the old-fashioned way on, uh, online or 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 via a different method. I think the most important thing is just to, whenever you're making a decision, just take a step back. And generally, any decision you make financially can can usually wait for at least overnight. So, you know, as the saying goes, sleep on it, because it tends to mean then that maybe you're not going to make the spur of the moment impulsive decision that you were potentially presiding on. And then the last thing I'd say is try not to make decisions like when your, your emotional state is under pressure. And, and what I mean by that is, so, for instance, when you're tired, uh, when you're hungry, when you're dealing with stress from other areas of your life, say work or, or relationships or, or, or what have you. Now, I know, especially given the last year and a half, it seems like, you know, there's, there's never a time where we, we don't have some sort of stress kind of bombarding us. But just avoid those times where potentially there's other factors are, might be driving uh, the decisions you're making, because it has been shown across almost every context in which we make decisions in, you know, financial lives, but, but also in other areas 
that when you make decisions, when you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're stressed for, for other reasons, we, we tend to make much poorer decisions. That's very sage advice. Be, be mindful, no multitasking when dealing on your accounts. Um, so, Will, Rob, thank you so much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Word on the Street. As usual, if there are topics or if you want to violently disagree with, with anything that you've heard today, do just please get in touch via LinkedIn or let us know and we will happily address it. So wishing you all a very good week. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.